Welcome to the Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches and analysts. For those of you who love to look at the game in minute detail, my name's Harry Brooks and I'm joined once again by Richard Webster. Hello, Richard. Hi, mate. How are you? You good? I'm buzzing. The Premier League has returned. Absolutely buzzing. Um, although, because I work for you, I did miss the first game, so thanks for that. But, you know, there you go. Work comes first. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, yeah, how are you feeling? You obviously delighted for the return of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, I think it's brilliant, mate. Uh, football's well and truly back now. Obviously, we've been covering the Bundesliga a lot recently. Uh, there's been some great fixtures there. But for us, as you know, mate, it's all about the Premier League, really. That's what we want to see. That's football's coming home and all of that. So, um, yeah, great to see the first couple of fixtures. So we'll be covering that and looking forward to some more of the fixtures coming up as well. Yeah, um, obviously, as I said, I missed the the first 75 minutes of the uh, Aston Villa-Sheffield <laughs> United game. I saw the last 15 minutes. Um, yep. But, you know, I was delighted to see it nonetheless. Uh, can't obviously really gather anything from um, those 15 minutes, but, you know, uh, nil-nil. Uh, but obviously, I did watch the big one today, Man City at home to Arsenal, um, if home even counts at the moment with no fans being there. Um, and in the end, um, I guess it kind of went the way that most people would probably predict. You know, City turned the screw, got the goals. Uh, David Luiz had a bit of a catastrophe. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, ended up with a quite a resounding win for Man City. Yeah, I don't think anybody predicted anything other than that uh, result before the game. Uh, Arsenal would, yeah, just they're just not as good. <laughs> they, they just got hit I by thought, a better... I thought at the beginning, I thought they looked quite um, disciplined. I thought that you could see they'd worked on, you know, their shape was good. They had quite a narrow front three trying to stop City playing through the middle, etc. Um but yeah, and then David Luiz, obviously he comes on for the injured Mari, um, just makes an awful individual error. And Sterling goes on the scores and they, to be fair, City did ramp up the pressure before that, didn't they? I mean, it, it, it was a deserved, I, I, they gave him a deserved lead. I, I didn't see it like that. I saw it as a matter of time. Uh, City okay. started fairly slowly. Okay. Um, they seemed to be finding their way in the game. The game was broken up by a couple of injuries and a couple of niggling things here and there. So City yep. really couldn't get into their flow. But at no stage at all did I think that this wouldn't be a comfortable win for Manchester City. There was never yeah. any there was never any part of this game, even if it had been nil-nil at halftime, there was never any moment in this game where I saw anything other than a fairly routine win. And as soon as they got the first goal, it just went from went from bad to worse for Arsenal. Um, all of the yeah. old frailties there to be seen. Uh, they were quite unlucky with injuries. They seemed to be getting a few knocks here and there. Uh, obviously, Granite Jacker went off injured fairly early on. Uh, yeah. Looks like he's twisted his ankle in the turf there. He wasn't even uh, doing a challenge. He just a, a really awkward sort of twist. Um, so he had to go off. Um, one or two others as well. And it just it just disrupted the flow of everything. Uh, but when City got in, got in front and got their noses in front and were in charge, I think they just completely dominated. I was very excited about the performance from Phil Foden. I thought he was excellent. Yep. Um, absolutely superb. Uh, chipped in with a goal as well, which he looks like he's um, he looks like he's going to be more and more of a goal threat, which is really nice, really exciting. Um, yeah. yeah, he likes to bomb forward and get on to the end of things. I thought they were professional. Uh, did a great job. And um, as everyone predicted, they put Arsenal to the sword. It's a shame they're 25 points behind. <laughs> no, I do agree. I do agree that, um, you know, I, I never saw it being anything other than a comfortable City win. But I do think Arsenal, you know, started off quite well. I do. I, in terms of, you know, they, they they were quite disciplined. But as you said, you know, the, the pressure just sort of ramped up. And then from then on, um, it was just a matter of time. And so it proved. Um, I was quite happy with the, 
the the intensity of the game, to be honest. I know that obviously the Premier League is the most intense league in the world, but obviously having so long having been off for so long, obviously I was worried about what it would feel like coming back. But I was quite happy with the quality. I mean, a few players looked a bit sluggish at times. There was a few off touches. I mean, Carl Walker's passing completion rate in the first half can't have been too good. There was a lot of times when he had his passes cut out. But um overall I was quite happy with the quality and and the overall sharpness and the intensity. I thought it was actually a pretty good standard. Yeah, I mean, they looked well prepared. City, certainly. I thought the standard was high. Some of the football they played in the first half, even though they struggled to break them down until right at the end of the first half, they played some beautiful stuff. Just a little slow, maybe a tiny bit slow at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe just a little bit cautious, but that, that you know, that could just be rustiness. They, they're yeah. ring rusty. They haven't, they haven't played the fixtures. They're not into their groove. But winning 3-0 when you're not quite into your groove isn't bad. So. No. Yeah, that's what it yeah. felt like to me. It felt like that it, it was there. It just sometimes maybe the weight of the pass was just a bit too short. The touch was a bit too off. The the legs were maybe a bit too heavy to get there. But I think the idea was certainly there for City. And and they actually, as they as the match wore on, they they started to carve Arsenal open. There were some beautiful combinations. Um, you know, there was a lot of rehearsed patterns, as as we know yeah. and expect from Man City and Guardiola. There was a few times when you know it was quick combination play. This obviously from the training ground, um, and Arsenal couldn't really do too much about it. Leno had a good first half or a good game overall, didn't he? He, he certainly kept a minute. Were there any players in particular that stood out for you in terms of performance levels? Uh, for, yeah, Phil Foden. I thought he was terrific. Okay, good. Mate. Nice, yeah. nice. I mean, he did. Ugh, it's hard. It's difficult to say, though. I mean, he did well. Did well. Sorry, I, I don't want to go too overboard. I mean, he did come in into the game in a situation where certainly wasn't easier for him, but you know, he did come into a game where the tie was or the game was already done. Arsenal had a man sent off. Um, so it was probably a little bit easier for him. But I do think that, you know, I mean, this is more of a broader subject, but if he doesn't become a more first-team regular at Man City next season with David Silva going, then it kind of shows that Man City's academy is just there purely to sell players, isn't it? Or to, you know, to make money. Because if a talent like Phil Foden, that is everything that a Man City academy would want to produce, if not even he could become an established regular starter... Um, then what chance do the rest have? I I think he's a fantastic talent like you. And and do you think? I mean, I know you want him to, but do you think he'll he'll become a David Silver replacement, or can you see Man City signing someone to replace David Silver? That's a tough one. Yeah, I think um, ideally we'd like to see him replace him. And from today's game, I know he came on with just twenty five minutes to go, but I thought his performance was excellent. I think it's it's sometimes overlooked, you know, they're, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. You've got to remember yeah. he's a young lad. Like you yeah. said yourself, he hasn't played the games. He hasn't played the minutes. He doesn't have, you know, consistency on his side. Um, he hasn't got a nailed on spot in the first team, but he's come on and performed really well. Um, I thought he was excellent and pitched him with a goal as well. So I'd like to see him starting games. Um, obviously, David Silva is going to be moving on. They've got some unbelievable talent in there, though. That's the problem. We've got Bernardo Silva and Gundogan knocking yeah. around, yeah. which aren't too bad. And Rodri's a pretty decent player as well. Your Pep Guardiola, um, sorry, Richard, your Pep Guardiola, um, you have the opportunity to um, buy a multi-million pound superstar in the summer. You know that you have to, if you don't win the league versus Liverpool next year, you know you have to make it much, much closer. So you know your job's on the line. Do you replace David Silva with Phil Foden or do you sign someone else? That's such a tough one. I mean, he's, he's going to finish 20 points plus behind Liverpool. Yep. Um, or whatever. I mean, whatever happens, even if Liverpool tie up the league uh, within two games and then go yeah, it's done. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, of course. Games, yeah. They, essentially, they've ended up twenty odd points behind. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And if even if Liverpool sleepwalk through the last six games, 
um, it's it, the gap's huge. So it's it's such a difficult one. I mean, he's. I could see him doing it. I could see him sticking with Foden and just saying, no, he's my boy. Yeah. Um, and Silver and Gundogan being good enough. The other problem is, though, you've got uh, some some other players in there he, he could probably do with uh, replacing or upgrading. Fernandinho is aging now, and obviously he, yeah. gets, used, he gets used in different roles. So he, he there's might still, be and there's still a company-sized hole, isn't there? Exactly. So he might be thinking of... Um, Aguero, even, he's getting on a bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, these players don't go on forever. Obviously, Aguero is no. still absolute class. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, having been this far behind Liverpool, I think he'll sign someone. So I think Foden right. will get more minutes. He'll definitely get more game time than he did this season, but he's still going to be fighting for a place. But having said that, he's fighting for a place at one of the best teams in the world. Yeah. So it's not bad. Um, and you know, I agree it, with what you said earlier, and you've also said previously, listen, it's all well and good being on the outside, looking starry-eyed at these players and thinking, oh, they need to be given a chance. They need to be given a chance. Um, there was, there, it was recently revealed um, there's a huge talent at um, PSG, another young talent called Kouassi, who yeah. looks like he's joining Bayern Munich. And, you know, everyone's going mad at PSG. But then if you are at PSG or you are at Man City and you're the manager, your requirement is to win the league and the Champions League. And you have the finances to go out and buy the already established best in the world. And if you don't win the leagues, then you don't, then you get fired. So it is very all well and good looking starry-eyed at these players and thinking, oh, give them a chance, give them a chance. But your job's not on the line. You don't have yeah. to go and win the league. And that's just the, that's just the, the cut of it. That's, that's the fact. And I, I agree that's, that's with you. That's football I, nowadays. That's, that's yeah, football. Fans, I agree with you. Fans like to see one of their own running around. So yeah. um, obviously as Spurs fans, we love it when Harry Kane's scoring goals yeah. and, and Winks in midfield is phenomenal. Um, but like you say, bottom line, the expectation for Manchester City is th- obviously this season's not good enough. He might come away with the Champions League, which will sort of, you know, be a big recovery. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's every chance that they'll do that. I really think they're well placed. Yeah. Um, but if they don't, then that's a season without trophies and they won't tolerate yeah. that for two in a row. Definitely so, not. Doesn't yeah, matter who you are. Exactly. So he probably will have to go and sign people. We can have an argument about that. Is that right? Is that wrong? That's the nature of the beast at the moment. Um, that's football. We see in we see in managers win titles and get fired, um, like a like a Bayern Munich um, previously. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, Phil Foden, but Phil Foden's definitely good enough to get in that team. Mm. Um, but whether whether he needs another option, it depends who's available. I I see him starting and playing much more than he did this season, but I still don't see him being um, uh, a nailed on uh, starting eleven fixture. No. Yeah, I would like to. I'd like to see it, but as we said, that's speaking on the outside, and it's completely reasonable. And to um, you know, for these clubs to go and spend like Man City to go and buy another superstar, it's just reasonable, and that's just the way it is. Uh, whether people like yeah, it I mean, or not, if we look at if if we look at Arsenal, for example. So this is a this is a, a giant of a football club which is underachieving at the moment. This season hasn't gone the way they wanted it to. Um, okay, so their their expectations for the rest of the season are limited. Yeah. Um, so. You know, and they're doing some of the youngsters they're able to put in and able to blood during this period. It's it's going to be very good for them. So Maitland Niles gets minutes. Uh, Joe Willock gets time in. Um, Saka has done really really well, I think. Um, Eddie yeah. McKetty has started today. He's a really good player. Really good. I really like him. Yeah. Um, there's some other sharp, players. isn't he? Yeah, he's really sharp. Martinelli. We'd have to. Yeah, have to, huge. Um, have him down as a as a success for them for this season. Yeah. But it's a different remit. 
It was yes. very clear early on that Arsenal, same as Tottenham, same as Chelsea in some regards, aren't or weren't going to be challenging for the title. And Arsenal at some stage would have been scrapping for top four. But even that ship has sailed a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so it's easier to play Maitland-Niles, to play Joe Willock, to yeah. play Martinelli, to play Nketiah um, than it is for uh, Jurgen Klopp to play the youngsters in big games. You know, Kiana, whoever, players like this or for um, Pep Guardiola to play uh, Phil Foden uh, when he plays away at Chelsea or whatever, you know, whatever huge game he might be playing when they need the points. It's a, it's a really, really tough one. But having said that, we speak about this all the time. There's some amazing young talent coming through. Indeed. Um, so some of these guys are going to get more and more. I'm actually very excited about uh, Billy Gilmore at Chelsea. I think he's a yeah. terrific player. Great player, great player. Um, I want to pick out one Man City player, if I may, and that's yep. Riyad Mahrez. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge fan of his, and I think he was just a cut above today. Um, what I really liked today was his willingness to run in behind off the ball. Um, he's a player that is very, very good and loves to receive defeat um, and stand his man up 1v1 and go both ways. And he's so, so sharp and so creative. But he showed a few times today, didn't he, that his willingness to to run in behind off the ball. And it's vital that teams have that threat. And, um, you know, obviously that's where the, the sending off, well, wasn't quite a running behind, but a superb first touch with his head. Um, flicked it past Louise um, to get him behind and David Louise brought him down and, you know, send off in the penalty and that was game done. But I'm a huge fan of Mares. Um Didn't start yeah. off as, didn't start off um, his career at Man City as obviously how he had hoped, but I think he's been superb this season. Um, he's played a lot more minutes than he, um, than he did previously. And uh, yeah, I, I would actually say, yeah, well, no, he is for me, he's world-class, definitely world-class. And, and he's someone that should 100% be starting for a team that looks to win the league. But, you know, as you've already alluded to, Man City also have the likes of Bernardo Silva that he has to fight with. So, yeah, you know... They, it, left, they left Sane on the bench, you know. They left Sane uh, on the bench, you know. They're so, not, um, they're not yeah. short of players. Some teams are, but uh, they're not short of players who can make the difference and go past players. We spoke about this the other day with Barcelona, um, where they've struggled. Obviously, they started the, the comeback since, um, since the lockdown phenomenally with two wins out of two. Um, but where they're, where they're lacking at the moment is in that player who's able to go at people, to go past people. Um, basically, they haven't replaced Neymar and then barely hasn't worked out, uh, which has caused all sorts of problems with Griezmann going into the into different areas and whatnot. Um, so when, when City come at you with Sterling on one side and Mahrez on the other, uh, who can both go either way, who can both go down the outside, can beat you one-on-one, are a threat in behind... Uh, they can stretch the game wide. They can stretch the game long. Um, you're in real trouble. Uh, yeah. So, I think he's. I think he's a, a brilliant player, Mares. He would be starting for most teams in the Premier League for sure. Uh, but I don't think he's got a bad gig down there. <laughs> I, <think he's laughs> no. doing, I think he's doing well. But yeah, he, he had another good performance. I'm a big fan of his. He's grown and grown on me um, in the last couple of seasons. I think he's terrific. Yeah. What do you see for Arsenal for the remaining campaign? I mean, it's very difficult because obviously. You know, the conditions of players. We've seen two injuries today for Arsenal very early on. Obviously, uh, whether that's due to the conditions or to the to lack of uh, match fitness, who knows? But, um, you know, where, where do you, what do you see for Arsenal um, in the oh, running? I mean, this is it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, they're yeah. really struggling this season. It, it, you almost want to write this season off and start again. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't think they're going to get anything. I think it's, no. look, it's Arteta's first, um, first campaign or first few months. So he's been he's been thrown in. Um, they're going to miss David Luiz now through suspension. He got sent off. Xhaka's out injured. Who knows how long that's going to be for? But it did look a little bit of a, um, 
a tough one. Uh, he went over on his ankle yeah. fairly badly, so I would have thought that would be a well. Who knows? We'll have to see what what that turns out like. He's a key player for them. He's someone with experience where they really lack experience um, for all of his faults. Um, he is a, an experienced centre midfield player. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't see them getting anything out of this season. I think they'll finish top 10 and um, just scrap it and, and start again next year. Very difficult um, to predict, but I think they'll definitely finish uh, the lowest out of the typical top six. I think they'll definitely be lowest out of them. And to be honest, I could probably see them finishing behind, well, obviously Leicester, they'll finish behind, uh, but also maybe Wolves and, Leicester, um, Wolves and Sheffield United as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, Arteta might like to use this end of the season to perhaps work on um, a few things for next season. Obviously, he's new into the job. We could use this um, this period for then, knowing that, you know, it's, that they're just not going to achieve anything tangible um, in terms of league position. Uh, yeah, it's a hard one. Um, I think that, I mean, I, I alluded to it on previous podcasts. I think that typically philosophical managers like, you know, Arsenal and Arteta, they might struggle because... Are they going to adapt to the situations, um, to such a weird situation? Um, or are they going to stick to their core beliefs and try to plough through no matter what? Um, I'm not too sure you can get away with that, especially when you're a side that's you know, had the issues that Arsenal have had and you know you are a new manager and hasn't really had time to work on their ideas. It's okay being Man City and Pep Guardiola doing that when Pep Guardiola has been there for years. The players know exactly what to expect and they're very, very good in a settled squad. So... Yeah, if I'm being honest, I think they'll struggle um, for the running. But, you know, Arteta could use this as a time period to work on things for next season and to really assess and and work out what he wants and who he wants to keep and get rid of, etc. So, yeah, that'll be my prediction for them. And again, City, uh, you know, will they win the Champions League? Potentially, obviously, that's that's definitely going to happen now in terms of the Champions League returning. Um, Obviously, they'll finish second. So, before we move on and talk about the other set of fixtures in the uh, the return of the Premier League. We do have to talk about Aston Villa versus Sheffield United, nil-nil. Uh, Obviously, that was the first game back before City-Arsenal. Um, I can't analyse the game because I didn't watch anything apart from the last 15 minutes. Uh, but I did see the highlights of that horrific VAR goal line, whatever you want to call it, decision. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, do you think that's an OK point for Villa? Rich, or do you think that's a, a a game where they could have maybe looked back at and thought, you know what, we could have really done with the three points there, considering that they're still nineteenth, uh, and a win would have te- would have taken them out of the bottom three. Um, how do you see that as a point for Aston Villa? They could have won it um, overall. There were some great saves from the um, the Sheffield United goalkeeper, but having said that, uh, Sheffield United had a perfectly good call. Uh, chalked off uh, with the the glaring error from uh, the VAR. I did see that. I did see that highlight. Like I said, and that is just absolutely bizarre. It didn't work, did it? Is it wasn't it like the goal line technology just wasn't working for the ref? I think they're saying it. They were uh, their their sight or the the vision of the VAR, whatever, was um, obstructed. So you've got the goalkeeper falls backwards with the ball. Is that there's a, a free kick in a, in a wide deep position? Everyone's going to see it, no doubt. It gets yeah. swung into the box. One of those ones where it gets missed by everybody. Ready. goalkeeper falls backwards with it into the goal basically um he's right up against the post there's sort of a melee on the line so you've got people who are you know very very close to the goalkeeper right on top of him um so you can understand the goal the referee not seeing it you can understand the linesman not seeing it but var that's it's a bizarre set of circumstances he very very clearly takes the ball into the goal <laughs> uh it's not i mean everyone with eyes can see that's a goal apparently var couldn't 
uh, they're saying that there was no there was no signal on the um, the goal decision uh, technology. Uh, the referees have an ear, uh, sorry, a watch, uh, which declares if, if it's a goal or not. Nothing was forthcoming on there, so can't, in this instance, it's a, t- it's a difficult one to blame the referee for because he can't see it um, or the linesman. But um, yeah, the technology let him down. And since then, um, Hawkeye have come out and apologised. They're the ones who obviously run the VAR system. That's their technology. They've come out and said it's a bizarre set of circumstances, so they've had to come out with a, a quick apology <laughs> to Sheffield United. But uh, yeah, on another day, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a good point. On another day, Sheffield United come away with a win. That's that goal should stand, and Villa are fighting for every point they they can. And Sheffield United this season, they're, they're looking good. They've been playing well. They've taken points off lots of teams. Um, they're sitting nice and pretty in sixth place at the moment, just behind tucked in behind Manchester United. Um, probably they would have, you know, both teams could come away and say, you know, we could have got the three points here. But it keeps it nice and tight for Villa. And when you're down at the bottom, every point counts. So I think it is actually a good point for Villa. They may think they could have won the game, but every point counts. It could be really valuable towards the end of the season. Well, talking about Sheffield United, um, when they got promoted, I, I, I thought they were going to have a good season in the Premier League. I do honestly believe that. I'm not just saying that. I certainly didn't think they'll do as well as they have done. But, you know, in the summer, I saw a lot of very lazy analysis from pundits and people that are supposed to know what they're talking about um, just claiming Sheffield United would be a, a you know just cannon fodder for most teams and they'll you know they'll be a long ball team and stuff like that and I just thought well you clearly have never watched them um, Chris Wilder is a superb coach um, it's square square pegs square holes definitely with Sheffield United superb recruitment um, it fits um, I'm a huge fan of of the of what Chris Wilder's doing and and uh, what the club are doing at the moment um, and you know what? They're, I mean, there is a chance that they could get in a Champions League spot, especially if Man City's ban is upheld, is um, um, isn't reversed. So fifth would get would get Champions League, and they're now only one point behind Man United. So, do you, do you think they could do it? Do you think they could get Champions League, or do you think that it's just that gap is going to slowly? increase as the season edges towards its uh end yes i i think they won't i think they'll they'll just fall um i think they'll stay in six personally okay uh, okay which is still a phenomenal season isn't it uh yeah i think that i think the table as it is now uh the, the teams that are in the top uh six places will stay exactly where they are right okay to be honest with you, i don't think that's going to change um obviously it'll it'll flip and flop between i think manchester united will come fifth I think um, uh, Sheffield United come six, and I think the top four is will will stay as is. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think they'll just fall short. Um, they are. I agree with you. I think Wilder's done a phenomenal job. They're incredibly well drilled. Really, um, really, they're actually quite innovative as well in the way Very. they use. Yeah, the way they use their players. Yeah, uh, overlapping centre backs. Yeah, they're really interesting to watch. Um, it, it, it's interesting, and you know it, it, they pose they pose a lot of problems for the opposition as well. And on top of that, they are what we'd expect from a Wilder team. They're competitive, they're well drilled, they're organised. So that gets you a lot of points anyway. That gets you, or that keeps you in every game, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. So I would say overall, without wanting to be patronising, I think they've overachieved. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because you know Manchester United, Tottenham, and Arsenal have underachieved this season massively. Yep. Um, you'd have to say at the same time that um, Wolves, Sheffield United and Leicester have probably overachieved slightly. Uh, yeah. That might be a bit harsh, but 
that's my thoughts on that. But I think they'll cling on for sixth, yeah, which is still a phenomenal season. Great um, season. And that's why I think it's a good point for Villa. Yep, fair enough, fair enough. So let's talk about the uh, the other round of fixtures. I mean, there are some standout ones. Um, obviously, uh, Tottenham at home to Man United is a big one, um, as is Everton-Liverpool. I mean, if Arsenal had won today, then Liverpool could have won the league at Goodison Park. Evertonians is going to be very relieved that that isn't going to be the case. Um, but we have to talk about those two games, don't we? Obviously, uh, Man United, Mourinho's former club, coming to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, again, it's very difficult to predict how um, games are going to go. I would say that perhaps where maybe conditioning and fatigue might be an issue um, at the start of the season, that, uh, or at the restart of this season, perhaps teams that have very dynamic, quick players that can exploit open space might succeed. So that's certainly Man United with the pace and dynamism of, of players like Rashford. Um, how do you see that game going, Rich? Uh, I think it's going to be really tight. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't see there being too much in it. Certainly Mourinho is not going to all of a sudden be expansive and gung-ho. No, no, um, no. He's going to try and grind this out and get, get the best that he can. He'll certainly think that they can, they can still finish in the top five. Um, I personally don't think they can. I think it's a stretch. Um, he'll want to do one. He'll definitely want to um, uh, get one over on Manchester United. Uh, you know he'll have a plan. I just think it'll be tight. This can go either way. It's 2-1. 2-1 either way, but it's hard to call. I would say 2-1 Tottenham just because I think the return of Harry Kane, he looks like he's really buzzing and, yeah. and rearing to go. That gives us such an edge. Um, yeah. Son being back in as well. But this is... You're splitting hairs. I think these these two teams and clubs are in similar positions. Um, yeah. Or let's say teams anyway. Uh, they they've underwhelmed this season, but I think they're both actually quite close to being um, yep. good sides. I really very much sides. agree. I very much agree. It's just a few key additions in key areas that will yeah. all of a sudden glue it all together and uh, make the rest of it tick. So you but know, I actually think Manchester United probably slightly closer than Tottenham to okay. sort that out because I think they've they've started to refresh whereas the Tottenham team needs a refresh. Mm. So um we've got, you know, if you look at the centre halves, uh Vatongan and Alderald is still an issue there of of um uh, who's staying, who's going, um is that that's stale and it needs refreshing. There's a problem at full back um on both sides. Uh so that's the entire back four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um there's an issue of 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 some similar players. Um I think Steven Bergwijn's been a really good addition. And yeah. I think he's going to be terrific when he gets a full season next year as well. Um, after he do, after he does more work with us. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I think um I think uh with with Manchester United they they really look set and I think Bruno Fernandes has made a massive difference to he them. He really has, hasn't he? He's got that aura, hasn't he, of a Man United player that you look towards and he just yep. bring. He must bring so much confidence to his team. Well, Teammates. now we see, and what you see is a knock-on effect. So Scott McTominay is a better yes. player. Fred's a yeah. better player. Um, I never understood the criticism Fred would get anyway. I think he's a terrific footballer. Um, Very good player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but now you're seeing he's he's really coming into his own. I think they just need one or two key additions, and then and then they're really set. I could see Manchester United getting very very close next season, um, and actually. I would tip them for the top four if they make certain additions. Um, so can I. Yeah. So can I. Just, I um, think Tottenham is slightly further back. That's all. The reason why I would perhaps maybe put Spurs slightly ahead of Man United is um, Mourinho, one being one reason. 
But um, I think that Spurs' issues um, are mostly fixed with just a solid defensive midfielder. Doesn't have to be a world-class defensive or typically recognised world-class defensive midfielder. But I do believe that that fixes a lot of things. I think it fixes the gaping gap in front of the defence. So they're now someone screening it. So all of a sudden, those centre-backs look far better again. Um, there is a fallback issue, but I do believe that a defensive, just a, a solid defensive midfielder fixes a lot of things. Whereas I think Man United, they need a world-class number nine. Um, they're harder to come by. A guaranteed mm-hmm. goals that will also provide um, other things for the team. Uh, Jimenez could be a op- serious option for them. They should consider. Um, so I just think that that's a harder position, obviously, to fill. Um, obviously, a, a world-class number nine is harder to fill than a, a good defensive midfielder. Um, and I, I agree with you that the most of the squad is there for both teams. But I just think it's perhaps a bit easier to fill in what Tottenham need compared to what Man United need. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, Everton versus Liverpool. I mean, obviously, it's just a matter of time before Liverpool win the league. Uh, again, Evertonians are going to be delighted that they can't factually do it at their own ground. Um, what have you made of, I mean, it's obvious, you know, Liverpool, it's obvious, you know, what they are and stuff, but what have you made of Ancelotti? Um, the difference he's made at Everton since he's, since he's joined them. Um, yeah. How have you, how have you made them? I think he's one of the best managers going, to be honest with you. I think it's a real yep. coup that he's there. And um, I think he's going to take them from strength to strength. I really do. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, I'm a big fan of Angelotti. Yeah, I think he needs what will be interesting to see him after a transfer window. It's just a shame that it's going to be um, possibly such a, a strange transfer window. But yeah, yeah. I think that, I think they're definitely going to be improved. I mean, it's it's hard with Everton. They're one of these clubs. You think every year you think, oh, this is the year they're gonna they're gonna you know this is a big club. Um, they're gonna push uh, for European places and they're gonna kick on and they never seem to get it right. And they've had. Um, sort of some managerial appointments which you you might question what you know haven't worked uh but i think angelotti's the i think it's going to work out for him i think they're going to do better i don't think they're going to win this game no. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, no, no. um that's just my opinion there but i think yeah he's 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 a good fit um and i think he's going to do well for them next season i would argue that their front two of dominic calvert lewin and richarlison is well that's uh, for me that's definitely top six forward lines um I don't know what you think of that. I think that's a superb um, partnership up front. Whether that will be the same partnership next season, I don't know. But that that is going to be a that those are a huge threat for any defence, aren't they? And and they, they could are. pose they could pose Liverpool problems. As I said, I don't think they. I think Liverpool will win, of course. Um, but they they could pose problems. Those two, I think. They they they're great players. Um, it's consistency. I yeah. think the problem you have there is they're both big talents. Uh, Calvert Lewin seems to score. Uh, Punches in bunches. He he gets his goals in um, in gluts, I think, uh, which is is great. But then his lean periods and Richarlison as well. Um, I think sometimes he's almost unplayable. He's really aggressive, uh, assertive, strong. You know, he, he's got an eye for a goal. Um, but then I've seen performances where he doesn't do enough. So I think for them, it's consistency, and I think that's their problem overall as a, as a team. Um, yeah, they've they've got good they've got good players. They can give everyone a game, um, but they're just not consistent enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, with Liverpool, obviously they are going to win the league. Um, <laughs> obviously, just a matter of when. Probably within the next uh, couple games. But um, you know, I'm guessing that you agree that it's just going to be as they were when they left. When um, you know they left off. 
Yeah, I don't see any change, mate. I was saying yeah. this the other day. I, I honestly don't see there's there's this gap, and people have said, "Oh, what are the what are the teams going to come back like?" And this and that. Okay, we go to Germany and Bayern Munich have steamrolled everybody. Um, you know, uh, Juventus, as expected, made the cup final. Um, Man City started with a three nil win. Um, good teams are good teams. Yeah. So yeah, Liverpool are the best in the country. So I expect them to come out and prove it. Yep. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, obviously, there are some other fixtures in the Premier League. We, we don't have time to go over all of them. But just a quick run through of uh, some of the other fixtures. Obviously, Norwich are at home to Southampton. Watford at home to Leicester City. Brighton um, at home to Arsenal. West Ham versus Wolves. Bournemouth Palace. Uh, Newcastle, Sheffield United. Villa, Chelsea. Um, and then uh, the first round of fixtures uh, finishes off with Everton versus Liverpool. So, a lot to I mean, fit in the calendar. Massive games, in there. massive games. West Ham. I mean, West yeah. Ham, Wolves. That's a huge game. Yeah. So both teams fighting for something because I think Wolves are pushing. Yeah. They're pushing Sheffield United all of the way. Obviously. West Ham just outside the relegation zone, literally yeah. by. Well, no, no, they're they're literally just outside it on goal difference. I think it's goal difference. Yeah, it they're is. It's on goal point. difference. Yeah, yeah, goal so, difference. So again, I come back to that point. Aston Villa got today. Every point counts. Yeah, of course it's true. Yeah, and Bournemouth, as you said, they they they're in the um they're in the relegation zone at the moment. Yeah. Uh, they're at home to to uh, Crystal Palace. So, and obviously a uh, bit of a situation today with Bournemouth. Uh, Ryan Fraser's um, refused to sign a, a small extension, so it doesn't appear that he's going to see out the season for Bournemouth. That's such a that's a it's a weird time, isn't it? That's a weird that's a weird uh, decision. I'm not knocking Fraser for it, but it's just something that you well, obviously it's unprecedented times. It just seems like a weird thing that you know you can have a player that's supposed to be contracted until the end of the season, and now all of a sudden his contract isn't until the end of the season, so he won't be there for the running. Well, yeah, I mean, that's going to hurt them as well because massively like said, they're, in, they're in a relegation battle and under normal circumstances, he would have played the last, what is it, nine games or whatever we've got left. Yeah, so obviously um, he leaves he leaves on the, you know, 1st of July. So, you know, he can't play any of the yeah. July fixtures. That's um, a big gap. Yeah. I don't know whether Crazy. they'll get that resolved. I'm, I, I, let's see if they get that resolved in yeah. time. I'm not but... blaming Fraser. I'm not blaming Fraser. Um, obviously, there will be fans that um, are very, very upset with him because that, he could be the diff- that could be a difference between relegation and staying up, but you know you got to look at it from Fraser's point of view as well. It, you know, it's a, it could have a big contract potentially at his next club, and he doesn't want to risk jeopardising it. But very, very odd situation. Um, I suppose we have to talk about obviously what happened in Europe um, before we before we move on to coaches' battle and best of it that it returns this week. But uh, yeah. before we do that, um, obviously the Coppa Italia final tonight, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Juventus Napoli. Napoli won on penalties. Um, obviously didn't watch the game, but uh, that's Napoli's first trophy since 2014. So well done to Napoli. I think it's just nice to see someone else picking up some silverware, yeah. mate. No, yeah, it's terrific. Yeah. Um, Brilliant. They've yeah. been pushing them. I'm really pleased with them. They've been pushing Juventus hard for the title for the last few seasons. Uh, obviously, it's not worked out this year, but they've managed to get the um, the Coppa Italia, which is brilliant. Um, you know, I, I'm not against Juventus. I think they're a terrific team, but it yep. is nice every now and again to see another team picking up some silverware. Unlike um, the Germans in yeah. Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, they have won their eighth <laughs> eighth title in a row. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, they're just an absolute machine, aren't they? They're a superb side. Um, as we spoke about on previous podcasts, um, I think they will be the ones to to push Liverpool as the best team in Europe. Um, but yeah, yeah. fully deserved and. Uh, one quite comfortably in the end. I think that yeah, of course, yeah, very comfortable. Um, I think it's it's two things going on. I think they're a terrific side, and I think there's a real um, there's a real gap 
between them and the rest and it's, it's partly down to the rest so for example Dortmund today lost 2-0 at home to Mainz yes already Bayern Munich had picked up the title the, the day before but that's really unprofessional you know yeah. you're still fighting for second spot um, yes you're not going to win the league but you're fighting for seconds maybe top four is guaranteed but I think that's a little window into why they don't win the league so last yes. season they should have won the league this season they had a very good chance to win the league but you're losing 2-0 at home to Mainz. Never mind the circumstances. That can't happen if you're yeah. possibly even dreaming of being uh, a title contender up against uh, Bayern Munich because Bayern Munich won't do that. Yep, indeed, indeed. Congratulations to Bayern Munich, of course, and congratulations to Napoli. Um, and soon to be congratulations to Liverpool. After <laughs> the break, we have the return of Coach's Battle. Don't go anywhere. Coach's Battle. On this week's Coach's Battle... We are going to be discussing which of the two teams who have arguably overperformed this season, um, Wolverhampton and Sheffield United, which one is going to finish higher? Um, for those of you um, who maybe don't remember the rules of coaches' battle, uh, myself and Richard each pick a subject um, or we each pick a certain segment of a subject and we have to basically make an argument for 30 seconds as to why we think a certain team, player or whatever will do better or worse. Um we have picked our teams, and uh, this week we are going to discuss who is going to finish higher, like I said, out of Wolverhampton Wanderers and Sheffield United. And I've got she I've got Wolverhampton Wanderers, and Richard has got Sheffield United. So, Richard, um, do you want to go first, or shall I go first? Yeah, but before we before we start, mate, I think we should remind uh, remind people of last last time's result, last time out, mate, if we can. I uh, it's been so long, mate. I, I can't remember. I think if we look into that, I mean, I think I did get the win on that one, mate, yeah? Um, yeah, you won. You, yeah, all right, all right, all right, okay. You won, last, you won the last coach's battle, so it does mean you've clawed it back. There so we go. the score, yeah, the scores are now 3 2. I'm still in the lead, but That's I fine. can't quite pull away from you. I can't quite, but I'm That's sure fine. I'll be able to um, after this week's. So, yes, of course, we have 30 seconds to um, give our argument as to why I think personally Wolverhampton Wanderers will finish ahead of Sheffield United and why Richard think it will be the opposite. So Richard, do you want to go first or shall I? Um, I'll let you go first, mate. Okay. All right. I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay. So you need to get the stopwatch out for me, mate. And whenever you're ready, let's go. Right, Harry, your 30 seconds on why Wolverhampton Wanderers will finish higher than Sheffield United starts now. As good as Sheffield United are, they're both superbly coached teams. Um, I think Wolverhampton Wanderers, um, well, they will certainly suit the return of the Premier League. Um, teams might be a bit um, below par with the conditioning and fitness, so there's going to be open space. So teams that are athletic and superb on transitions are are going to thrive, and Wolverhampton Wanderers certainly have that with the likes of Adama Traore, Diego Hotter, Raul Jimenez. They can really um, exploit space and drive at you. So um, where there are going to be teams that are perhaps a bit leggy, they can exploit that. Um, Here we go. Oh, 30 seconds. I was just getting into my groove. Just getting into my groove. That was very good, man. I like your point. I, I like. I take your point about open spaces, Adama Traore, all of that. It's very good. It's not yep. going to be enough to win, but it was all right. good. All right. Well, good luck. So are you ready for your 30 seconds? Let's do it. All right. So you can start in three, two, one, go. So as we alluded to earlier, Sheffield United incredibly well coached and drilled. So I think they're going to—they're not going to miss a trick here. They're going to uh, start back like exactly like they left off as one of the best teams in the league. Uh, it'll all come down to the game on the 8th of July between Sheffield United and Wolves. Sheffield United have home advantage for that. It might not come for much without the fans there, but I do think it's going to mean something. Last and final point is Wolverhampton Wanderers are still in the Europa Cup or the Europa League. 
Uh, that's still to be decided, and it looks like they're going to go ahead and finish that in a one-and-done style format. Time up. Aye. <laughs> I saw what you've done there. You had that little Europa League thing up your sleeve. Okay, yeah. fair enough. All right, yeah. fair Wolves enough. Have, Wolves have played a lot of games already. Yeah, okay, uh, all right. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm actually I'm actually backing them to get through in the Europa. So I think that's going to that's gonna add to their workload. That's going to add to the fixtures, and I think they're going to stumble. Only a little, but it'll be enough for Sheffield United to take a spot. Yeah, if I'm being kind of honest, it's been so long without football, I kind of forgot the Wolves were in the Europa League. <laughs> oh dear. Oh well, oh well. I still think I've put up a pretty good argument. But remember, it's not um it's not who you Yeah, no, yeah, it's the listeners, it's not who you think will finish high, it's who you thought argued the case better. Myself with Wolverhampton Wanderers or Richard with Sheffield United. Before we wrap up this week's show, it is now time for the best of. And the best of the week is on this week's Best Of, we are going to talk about a subject we kind of alluded to earlier with a certain player's performance. Um, it's going to be the best of subs, uh, the best sub appearances um, that we've personally really, really enjoyed. Obviously, we spoke about Phil Foden coming on earlier and uh, doing really, really well, scoring a goal, um, doing a bit better than David Luiz's uh, sub appearance earlier oh. on, uh, giving away a goal and uh, getting sent off. But no, this one is the Best Of Um well, so, I think, I, I think to be fair to David Luiz, it was his, it was his, um, let's say, disastrous uh, afternoon or evening that uh, <laughs> in, inspired this subject. So he yeah. really was unfortunate. I'm not knocking him as a player. I think he's actually, a ter- I actually think he's a terrific player and he's had a, a stellar career. But he came off the bench um, for for an injured player. Uh, it was a fault for the goal. Then he conceded a penalty and was sent off. So all in all, not a great substitution. But it did bring us uh, to mind of some really, really good substitutions that have changed games and, and have maybe won tournaments or turned things around. So that's what we thought we would do. Indeed. Inspired by David Luiz. Indeed. <laughs> um, I'll start off this week, um, if you don't mind, Rich. And I'm going to talk about a certain Welshman, someone from your home country. Uh Gareth Bale's sub-performance in the Champions League final versus Liverpool for Real Madrid in 2018, uh, where for me, taking everything into account, he arguably scored the greatest goal of all time in club football, purely because of the situation. Um, Again, I guess you can't really define greatest goal of all time. It all depends on how you view the game and how you love it and see it. Um, My personal favourite goal ever is Lionel Messi's one versus Athletic Bilbao. But... There is definitely an argument to say Gareth Bale's um, is the greatest goal of all time because of what you know, because of the situation and the the, um, the absolute incredible technique, athleticism to pull off the overhead kick that he did. Um, obviously, you know he didn't start in the final against Liverpool, which you know having a player like Gareth Bale on the bench in the Champions League final is it shows what a pretty good squad you have, but. He came on and he scored the two winning goals. Um, one of them was, you know, another long-range strike. Um, it was a howler from Luis Carius, but um, he struck it well nonetheless. But again, I'm picking this more out because, you know, it was the two winning goals in the biggest club game in world football. And one of them was just an absolutely outrageous piece of skill that requires confidence, audacity. Of course, like I spoke about technique and athleticism. And, you know, to score the two winning goals in a Champions League final, the biggest club game in world football, and one of them be an overhead kick, um, for me, is why I'm going to give Gareth Bale my best of um, sub-performance in football. 
Uh, mate, I'm, you've got no complaints for me. I mean, first of all, I think the overhead kick uh, is the best thing uh, in football. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Um, you just can't beat it. Oh, there's been some amazing ones. I happened to see the Rooney one earlier today. I was flicking through something and I saw the, the Rooney overhead against Manchester City, which is just unbelievable strike. Yeah. Um, it wasn't long ago I was watching uh, Ibrahimovic's 40 yards overhead um, <laughs> overhead kick against England. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's, there's not many things that beat a absolutely crashing overhead kick. Um, so to do it in the Champions League final off the bench is brilliant. And then um, I, I particularly like that one because of um, Cristiano Ronaldo's face when he realised that he'd, you know, Bale had scored a better overhead kick. It wasn't him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, probably thought, he probably thought his overhead kick would never be bettered. And then it wasn't very long before Bale did it um, in the final. But, well, also, um, I think it's important to say as well that Bale had, had come on on 61 minutes and he had scored that goal on 64 minutes. Um, so no time basically since coming on, and he had done that's that. A, that's a that's a hell of a warm up he must have had. <laughs> yeah, just on the sideline, he's just doing acrobatic kicks rather than his hamstring stretches. But no, just incredible. Okay, so so I'm gonna go for one here. It's a very famous one. I might cheat a little bit. I've got I've got a little two for one here. Okay. So um, yeah, everyone's gonna remember this one. This is the yeah. 1999 Champions League final, Manchester United and Bayern Munich. Um, for me. After the miracle of Istanbul with Liverpool, this is the greatest Champions League final um, of all time, purely because of the action right at the end of the game. Um, so I'm going to give a joint award to Teddy Sheringham on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So um, having been fairly comprehensively outplayed for most of the game, uh, nobody remembers that. Uh, all we remember <laughs> is uh, sharing with Shalsha scoring those two late, late, late goals in Fergie time. Uh, yeah. It sent the Reds absolutely crazy. And then there's the famous pictures, I don't know if you remember, of Samuel Kufour, the Bayern Munich centre-half, basically pounding the turf at the end of the game in frustration, <laughs> punching, uh, punching the living daylights out of the grass. He can't believe they've lost it. I couldn't believe they've lost it, to be honest with you. So that, that's got to go down as my all-time um, best of substitutions. Uh, Teddy Sheringham, always worth a shout. And uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer scoring the winner. Um, yeah. I mean, right I can't argue game. with that. I was only five years old at the time, so I can't pretend <laughs> to remember it. But to be fair, I don't think it matters that I didn't see the game live because I've, I've seen it replayed so many times. And I've seen those moments replayed so many times. And... I mean, it's just the drama of football, isn't it? It's just absolutely magical. Uh, and I think I think that's what gives these things the extra edge. When we talk about the best of, or when we talk about things we've enjoyed in football, I think what often gets overlooked is the drama, the moment, yeah. what it what it means, what it meant. So a goal in a derby or a goal in a final. Uh, they don't. I mean, these two goals weren't great goals. These are toe enders at, after flick ons from corners. Uh, there's no, you know, these, these aren't crashing overhead kicks or bending floating free kicks or anything like that. But it's the drama of the moment. It's the, it's the sheer, uh, the feeling that it, that creates inside. I'm by no means, by no stretch, a Manchester United fan, but it doesn't matter. It's the yeah. drama created by a, a like a, a winning goal, probably against the run of play in the Champions League final from a substitute. Oh, I think it, it won't be topped. Nope. Brilliant. Brilliant. And that wraps up this week's show. Um, I've really enjoyed it. The return of the Premier League, the return, but more importantly, the return of Coaches Battle and Best of. 
Um, that's what people really wanted. But um, yeah. no, yeah, really enjoyed it, Rich. Um, can't wait for the next Premier League uh, fixtures. Um, I guess all that's left for me to say is thanks to Richards. Thanks, mate. Thanks to the listeners. Uh, the Premier League's back. Football is well and truly back. Stay safe and see you soon. Okay.